one pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome once again to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill here. Thanks for being here as we head into what should be a fun weekend. The Mariners taking on the St. Louis Cardinals, something that hasn't happened in a long time. We'll come up with, uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But first, we must review yesterday. Another, I mean, yesterday's loss was just brutal, the way it unfolded. We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about the road trip that was, and also several other things to get to in this podcast. One, a quick conversation with Jerry Depoto that's pretty interesting with all the moves, recent moves being made. Also, Tom Wilhelmsen will be here, now former Mariner, now current Mariner, as he was signed. So we'll hear from him. And also, I think a, a piece to perk you up, to cheer you up a little bit. One of my favorite pieces of audio and Probably my most requested piece of audio. Dave Niehaus interviewing Ted Williams. It's sensational. It will come up at the end, and it should put a smile on your face in what has been certainly a difficult time for the Mariners. As they lose to the Tigers yesterday, they're swept aside in a four-game series by Detroit. The Astros have now passed the Mariners in the division. The Mariners now below 500. At 36 and 37, the M's have lost six in a row, two and eight in their last 10, and will try and turn it around against the St. Louis Cardinals starting tonight. That's not going to be an easy task, and we'll talk about the reasons why coming up. But boy, the game last night, or yesterday, I guess, in Detroit, and it had a start that was strange and bizarre, and one you just you'd never see. And welcome back as we go to the bottom of the first inning here at Comerica Park in Detroit. And as we do, trainer Rick Griffin goes out toward the mound to have a look at Adrian Sampson. Sampson had been warming up along with catcher Chris Iannetta. And then they called for Griffin, the head trainer, to come out to the mound. And Sampson is going to have to come out of the ball game. Oh Unbelievable oh seeing this play out right now. With, with what the Mariners have gone through over the last couple of weeks with injuries. So a bullpen that was already severely taxed had to go nine, well, scheduled to go nine yesterday as Sampson, he couldn't even deliver a pitch. He goes out during a warm-up. So it really put the Mariners in a bad spot. Tigers built an early lead, but the Mariners start to come back as they play some long ball, particularly Nelson Cruz playing long ball. Here's the windup and the one-two again. Swing and a fly ball deep into left center field. This one is going and going. Goodbye baseball into the Mariner bullpen. Nelly Cruz with a home run, his 17th of the year. The Mariners get on the board, and it's now the Tigers two. And the Mariners won here in the top of the fourth. And here's a drive deep to left. No question about it. Boom. Stick, baby. Gone. Tie ball game at 4-4. Nelly Cruz. Back-to-back appearances. Back-to-back home runs. He got a fastball from Rondon and just leaned all over it. Tie ball game at 4-4. 
So 4-4 is the score as this game would go to extras. It would go to the 10th inning. The Mariners with a golden opportunity to take the lead in the 10th inning. Well, they couldn't do it. Oh, with O'Malley reaching first base, there was a pickoff throw to first that went by the first baseman down the line. O'Malley scampers to third. So there he is on third base with nobody down. And the Mariners couldn't find a way to punch him home. And then Detroit with C-Sheck on the hill. They would win. Pitch. Outside gets past Ionetta. And here comes Maven. That's your ball game. Oh, Tigers mob Mabin behind the classic English D behind home plate. They have swept the Mariners, and the Mariners have lost six consecutive games. And really, no one else to turn to at that point. Carnes was the last man standing. Montgomery unavailable. Everyone else in the bullpen had pitched at that point. Ciszek was working on a second inning. Sampson, of course, didn't throw a pitch. Nuno, three and a third. Diaz, one and two-thirds. Wilhelmsen, Vincent, Benoit, all an inning. Ciszek, an inning and two-thirds. Carnes was it. He was going to be the guy to go to after that, and he was he was going to be the last man to throw. And uh, Mariners fall to the Tigers. I would expect a flurry of moves today as the Mariners have a bullpen that is worn. You look at it now. Keep in mind, the Mariners used five starters through the first two months of the season. So reliable, such a big key to what was happening early in the season. They're going to use seven starters in their last seven games. That's where the Mariners are at right now. The bullpen is being used a ton because they're not getting a ton of innings from the rotation. Wade LeBlanc is going to be the starter today against the Cardinals. 7-10 first pitch from Safeco Field. And the Mariners have to go against Carlos Martinez, who has some of the best stuff in the big leagues. Just straight nasty. Martinez, 7-5, a 3-2-7 ERA. And he can really bring it. Tomorrow's going to be awesome. 7-10 first pitch. Carnes will actually pitch against Mike Leake the former Arizona State Sun Devil at Safeco Field. And it's turn back the clock night at Safeco Field, which is always a great time. Baby Blues worn by the Cardinals. Mariners will turn it back to 1984 as well. So that's going to be a fun night from Safeco Field. And then Paxton on Sunday against Garcia, 1-10 first pitch. So Cardinals haven't been in a, since 2 It has been a long time since the Cardinals were at Safeco Field. Uh, Albert Pujols was a young left fielder at that point so it's been a while so Mariners and Cardinals for three games over the weekend and the Mariners just looking for a win at this point to break break this streak trying to get back to the winning ways now 36 and 37 on the season won't be easy tonight let's hear from Scott Service about last night's game and this recent stretch uh, Snakewood is one way, one term you could use, I guess. Um, yeah. I thought our guys really, the pitching staff-wise, is a phenomenal job today. Just obviously, you know, Samson walking off the mound before any pitch. You know, we were kind of up against it, but uh, a number of guys are hanging. Uh, they took the ball and they kept really. The pitching staff really competed their tail off today. So um, can't say enough about the job they did. But just you know, didn't get it done at the end. Do you have an update on Samson at all? Uh yeah, just you know, it's available. Discomfort felt it in one of those final warm up pitches, and you know, um, he'll get looked at when we get back to Seattle. So that's all I got. Mally going on contact? Uh, 
Wrong in a second. It's, it's oh yes, yes, yeah. With one out there, and yeah, one out. Um, um, you know, just again, quality of the bat. Um, the guy on third or, or in scoring position is something that's um, hasn't been good. You know, we got to get better. We're not going to win many games unless we do. It's hard to hit homers every day. We hit a bunch of them today, but uh, not enough. Of them. Is that maybe one of the silver linings to seeing Cruz come around a little bit and seeing a couple of those guys produce? Yeah, no, Nelly had a good day, obviously. He looked a little fresher today after the off day yesterday. Um, you know, it's a tough one. You know, that's about as tough as they get. A very disappointing road trip, but, uh, you know, we'll regroup, um, get back home. Uh, we get, uh, get rid of the snake bites, as you termed it, and, uh, and go from That's about all we can do. As you regroup, what is your focus in order to kind of turn these around? Oh, uh, I, I think our ability to compete uh, in those situations, you know, having an idea what the pitcher's going to do against you, what they're looking for you to do, um, and we just pulled the ball on the ground. <laughs> and that's kind of what we've done lately. So uh, we got to figure out a way to compete. And when you're competing, you got to figure out a way to beat the guy. It's not just trying hard. Everybody tries hard. Hey, Scott, what was the breakdown in the bottom of the tenth on the error? Uh, you know, yeah, somebody threw the ball in, didn't hit the cutoff man, obviously. They were not taking the base. They were not going. He hit the cutoff man, and, you know, we're, we're in good shape there, but obviously that didn't happen. And you feel for Sampson as well. It would have been his second major league start, and he has to walk off the mound before throwing a pitch. Here's what he had to say. I mean, I felt pretty good in the bullpen. I threw about 35 pitches, and uh, towards the end of it, I, I felt a little tired. Just threw, I thought I just normal uh, – fatigue for just throwing 35 pitches in a row. Um, had my little break when, when we were hitting and came up to, th- to, to warm up again when, when I was out there and just felt a little double discomfort in the right right side and um, there was no pop or anything but I just it was just a little discomfort and I felt the best it would just, just come out of the game. Is that anything you felt before or experienced before like that? No, it was the first time. I, I had um, Surgery in 2009 when I was in high school, but it's, it's nothing like the same like that was. But uh, obviously, it's disappointing um, to have this right now. And so, yeah, just we'll check it out when I get back home and see how it goes. There it is, Adrian Sampson talking about the start. And now we'll turn to Jerry DePoto. A lot of moves being made, and here's what he has to say about what's going on. Jerry, two moves today. Uh, the first one, let's talk about Tom Wilhelmson. Obviously, Seattle fans are very familiar with him. Uh, you bring him in now. Uh, obviously, he became available. But what do you see with him right now? You know, the, the chance of getting him back online. Tom has not lost any velocity. He's still going to top out in the high 90s. He still has the spin rates on his curveball. We feel like the combination of maybe confidence, pitch selection, and just getting him in a comfortable environment where he's where, where he feels welcome and wanted could help and uh, you know physically he's still very capable and we just have to tap into that unique situation for him did you have an opportunity to talk with him and then tell him what's available and kind of get to that with him no we had a very unique uh, turnaround here I talked with his agent multiple times up to him leading into his flight here uh, I, he Tom was pretty widely sought after pretty unique in the way he left the Rangers left a lot of money on the table and I think one of the things that he really wanted to do was return to Seattle so while we were talking through with his agent Jeff Kingston was working in the background we were taking care of the logistics 
athletics. And we had to bring it together pretty quickly, and uh, Tom had to get on a plane yesterday. So while we were negotiating this, it was less than 48 hours, and we had to get Tom on a plane yesterday in order that he could be here in time to, to fit in with all the other roster moves we were doing. Otherwise, it could have got very messy. Now, was that a, a done deal when he got on the plane, or was that still in the... Well, he, he, was, he was getting on the plane to be activated on our roster all today. Right. So he knew that. <laughs> we weren't quite done with the deal, but he knew it. Okay, so good to go. And you said to accommodate other moves right now. That's been documented a little bit, but you've got some kind of different things going on right now. Yeah, we do. Well, one, I mean, we started with, uh, you know, with Wade LeBlanc. Wade is a guy who we are going to add for Friday, and uh, we have to make roster moves to accommodate that. We did send Jonathan Arrow out last night to make room for Tom. There's other things that have to happen in the next 72 hours or so. There's a little bit of a a circus going on right now, and we're going to have to make the roster work. Even Jeff Kingston very busy right now. Yeah, he's he's definitely on his toes. He's on his toes. Okay, Wade LeBlanc you've got a history with, and really phenomenal numbers. I know it's AAA, but when you look at what he's done down there this year, what what do you see? Well, he's pitching as well as anybody in AAA, and Wade has always been the same guy. He's not going to overpower you with a fastball. He's 85 to 90, mostly 87, 88, but he's got a terrific changeup that'll throw in any count, and he's got a really good cutter that'll throw away from the lefties or in on the righties. He's a reverse splits guy who gets the righties out a little better than the lefties, and we felt like for our needs, we could trust him to go out there and throw strikes. He has a history in the big leagues. He's actually been a positive war player over the course of his career and a former high-round draft pick who's always performed. He just doesn't throw real hard. How does one just all of a sudden say, okay, I need a starter on Friday. I'm going to go get him. He's going to be ready on Friday. I mean, it is his pitch day, which is nice, but uh, that's... A tough fit. Yeah, you didn't know there was a starting pitcher tree? No. <laughs> yeah, Wade actually had an out in his contract like a lot of veteran minor league pitchers do or players do. He had an out on June 15th. We didn't need him on June 15th uh, down to the minute, but we knew we were leaking oil enough that I did get on the phone and I talked with the people in Toronto and made them aware of our interest, and we were able to work out something pretty quickly once we found out that Taiwan couldn't go Friday. You said leaking oil, but it sounds like there might be some patches or it might be slowing down a little bit. But the news on Taiwan relatively good? Really good. And that was very encouraging. He's going to play catch on Friday, and if all goes well, he'll throw a bullpen over the weekend. That goes well, then he slides right back in the rotation next Thursday. Um, no reason to believe at this point that, that that's not going to go well. But the way it's been going for us, particularly with the starting pitchers and their current health, we're, we're just going to keep our fingers crossed and hope. Okay, and you've been giving the best Felix update, so I'll go to you for a Felix update as well. Uh, Felix is also playing catch. I think yesterday was the most aggressive he's been. He's starting to get excited and starting to ask questions about when he's going to go out and pitch. So uh, that's all a good sign. Right now what we're planning on with Felix is continued, continued throwing program. Now that he's out of a boot, we're going to determine when it's right to get him to a mound, but don't anticipate it's going to be too much longer until that happens. And again, fingers crossed, right now we're tentatively hoping that he can get out there and make a single start either just before the All-Star break or during the break for one of our minor league clubs. And then as we come back from the break, Felix will be with us and and we can have him for the second half. So hopefully you can slot him right into the rotation. That would be ideal, and that's what we're hoping for. Anything else going on? Not that I know (laughs) Not right now. Perfect. Thank you, Jerry. You got it, and Shannon Dreyer with Tom Wilhelmsen. So, Tom, it sounds like it's been a crazy uh, week for you, but the last 48 hours, I just I talked with Jerry and heard that side about what have those 48 hours been like for you? Uh, just a, a huge relief and um, you know, definitely a lot of emotions, but in the last 48 hours particularly, it's been nothing but happiness and um, uh, comforting. Um, it's been just really good knowing I'm coming home. 
One of the neat things is we talked to Scott Service, and he said he actually did get to know you a little bit last year. He talked to you last year. You were one of the players that he talked with. That has to help with the familiarity because it's really different in there. Yeah, and, you know, I obviously I keep, keep in touch with a handful of guys on this team when I was over there um, on the other side, and, and they said the same thing. It's uh, it's definitely different, but it's a, it's a lot of fun and uh, different in, in nothing but good ways. Um, so, yeah, we sat down. I sat down with Scott for a little bit, maybe an hour or so, and, uh, you know, talked his philosophy on ball and, you know, having fun, holding, being accountable. Um, you know, everyone's on the same playing field. Um, and then, and then uh, how him and, and Depoto view playing at Safeco Park and the kind of athleticism um, that, that goes along with that. And I think it was just uh, all around just good stuff. What was it like for you to be back there a couple of weeks ago? Very special. Uh, you know, I was there, what, the third week in the season, um, that was a little different because I didn't, I wasn't able to pitch off the mound. Um, so you know, seeing all the fans, I had a great welcoming back. Uh, everyone was real nice and, and said nothing but great things. Um, so thank you all, and um, that's definitely part of the reason uh, why Seattle holds a special place in my heart. Now it sounds like there were a lot of teams interested. Why Seattle and why so quick? Well, because that's all that's all I've wanted. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was comfort. It was comfort for me. It was comfort for my family. We love the area. And, and we're just familiar with everything. Um, <clears throat> and having the little bits of success I've had here, it just, it just made sense in my heart. It, also your heart. I mean, the move you made. It's A lot of people are shaking their heads that, okay, you decided to be a free agent. How much went into that and what, why? Yeah. Um, you know, it was pretty darn easy. Um, <clears throat> when I first got into baseball uh, six, seven, eight years ago, whenever it was, when I made the decision, it was to be a major league baseball player, and that was the kind of mindset and attitude that got me to the big league so quick. Um, I love my family. This is definitely a tough, tough gig because you're away for so long, and there needs to be something with that. So if I'm going to be away from my family for this long, then it's going to be in the big leagues. It's not going to be in the minor leagues. Knowing my track record, um, not believing in the last 21 outings of this year, um, I just figured that I could get something done on a major league level, and there's just no amount of money that can buy happiness. Um, although I have learned that it can get expensive, uh, <laughs> based off of this, which is kind of which is kind of funny to say right now. But um, but no, there's just there's there's just no sense of, of money comes and goes, you know, um, and everything in the world is is with me. So um, it was a pretty easy decision. That's fantastic to hear. And you also bring up, you know, your last 21 outings. You just told us, don't know what happened. You feel good out there. And it sounds like you just turned the page. That's it. That's all I can do. Kind of, you know, laugh about it. Obviously not too hard because it was pretty serious and it put me in this situation. I'm never, ever trying to fail. Um, but, you know, you learn from it and, and uh, kick it behind you. And that's what you do as a reliever, uh, good or bad. So where are you at right now? It's been about a week since you pitched, and kind of what are you hoping for? Yeah, um, I'm hoping to get off the mound today because um, it has been about a week since I've thrown. Uh, I was able to find a fence and a couple of baseballs to, to keep my arm active and, and to run a little bit uh, when I was in Dallas. But You need a dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the, their saliva is quite different than ours, so I don't know if it really helped me so much with the grip on the... Uh, They're better retrievers my, than a fence, though. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. But I needed to get that conditioning in, too. Okay. And so it was a lot easier to do that in 98 degrees with, yeah. you know, 80% humidity. Yeah. So you feel ready to go. Yeah, yeah, I feel great. Um, I would love to do a little touch and feel off the mound, but... Um, 
you know, mind, body feels great. It's great to see you here. Can't wait to see you with the jersey on. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Can't wait. And to put a smile on your face, Dave Niehaus with Ted Williams. Ted, first of all, uh, tonight the Mariners open a a series against the Baltimore Orioles, and uh, Cal Ripken is 95 games away from one of the greatest records that they said would never be broken. What is your perspective on, on Ripken's streak? Well, it's absolutely marvelous and sensational and tremendous. Uh, to play that many games without missing one, uh, I can't hardly conceive of it because I know that you can get a, a blister on the wrong part of your hand and you can't play. Or you get a little broken little part of your finger and you can't hold a bat. And um, just so many things. You get hit in the elbow and you can't play. And uh, he's a big, strong guy and... And is always in there, and hell, uh, is a great credit to this game. Your rookie year, 1939, was the year that Gehrig's streak of 21-30 ended. What yeah. do you remember about the Iron Horse? Well, in spring training that year, why well, I had a in the clubhouse. We had a little clubhouse in Sarasota, and I could hear, and I was right close to the trainer's room, and I could hear all the old writers coming in, you know, and say Gehrig doesn't look good at all. Uh, you know, he. Uh, he, he can't hit the ball, and he can't do this. And I said, well, what the hell? He's 38 years old, you know. He's, he's probably over the hill. And, of course, in those days, uh, they, I think ball players did quit a little bit earlier. Uh, they got the incentive to play longer now if they're making 100000 or 200000 or 300000 or, or a million. You know, that incentive to play is even more, uh, more prevalent. And so... Uh, but anyway, uh, I saw Gehrig, and I walked up the stairs, up to the clubhouse, following him, because all the players went up to the Yankee side. Then they went over to their side of the dugout. And uh, uh, I remember following him. I never actually met Gehrig, but I, was, uh, I watched him and looked at him and everything, you know. And, uh, uh, well, if you compare his records with anybody, mm-hmm. Why well, he's right there, and there's no way you can't say, "Boy, what a player!" Yeah, yeah. Another thing before I get into your career, that uh, it was I was just awestruck. I don't know if you remember last year we had a problem up here with the Kingdom when the tiles fell, and oh yeah, uh, yeah. And we had to reassume the season at Fenway Park in Boston. And uh, I, I swear to God, when I die, I want my ashes put under the plate there. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, that particular series was picked up in Boston. Everybody was allowed to come in for ten dollars. They had to open the uh, the ballpark there on Yawkey Way a couple of yeah, hours before, yeah, and it yeah. was like lemmings uh, swimming to the sea when the kids tried to get those great seats. But at any rate, I remember on a Sunday afternoon after that final game, and I've always been in awe of that red seat out there, five hundred and two feet away from home plate. People in line and they couldn't get them out of the ballpark it almost brought tears to my eyes as as they waited just to sit in that red seat and i was talking to either joe gelati or, yeah. or peter gammons or somebody like that and they said you know when ted hit that home run off freddie hutchinson there was no seat there there were bleachers is that true no uh, i think it is true but they they had the seats numbered because the only way i could tell anybody or they could authenticate the actuality of it all was that this guy was sitting up there with a straw hat and the ball, he reached up the ball and the ball hit him in the hat and, and put a hole in, you know, kind of crushed it. And the next day, his picture was in the paper. And they give the seat number and everything else, you know. So, 
Sullivan was there, and I told him about that ball. And I said, all you got to do is check the papers. They'll tell you exactly where the ball was. So what we did this one day, it was just sitting there looking at the park. So he, he pursued it, and he got exactly the spot. And uh, then they painted the seat red. And uh, But um, uh, that, that was one of the, that's certainly one of the best balls I hit. But everything was with me, and I got it in the air, and I hit it real good, and the wind was blowing out, and he just kept going. <laughs> and Freddie Hutchinson was so mad. Ooh. <laughs> I'll bet he was mad. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable great. that a man can hit the ball yeah, that Yeah, I know. He's a great guy. Yeah, he, he really was. Yeah. Okay, why did you pick uh, Junior for your first award, uh, your Hitter of the Year award? Well, we were we just had to. Here's a young kid that's. I saw him in the All-Star game, the first All-Star game I ever saw him play in, and the first time up he hit a line drive, low line drive, in the left center, center, left center. And boy, was I impressed the way he hit that ball. And, uh, of course, he just started going from there. He just started to blossom all the way. And um, I'm really, really happy for him because his dad was one of the best-liked players and I didn't even know him, but I knew he was well-liked. And when he said anything, he had a great smile. And uh, then this kid coming along, I can't think of anything that uh, is, is greater than to see your own kid excel in a sport that you played in. And uh, he certainly is excelling. And, and I, I hear more people talk about his hitting, although the other kid is hitting like hell, too, Bobby Bond. But they say more about Ken Griffey. Uh, Bond has got tremendous talent, but uh, Ken Griffey, geez, he's tough. <laughs> I got on tape, and one of my favorite interviews was the one you did last year with Costas. I thought it was a classic. Oh, Costas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, your reaction to what everybody has asked you, you you've of, often been quoted as uh, wanting to be known as the best damn hitter who ever lived. And, yeah. and I thought your, your answer was uh, really great. Uh, if you can... I, as you went through all your records, you said, I don't know, but I know I was one of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always said, most of the time, I've always said that, that, and I've kept real track of all the hitters because that was my great greatest interest in the game. And I've seen them, and I've looked at them, I've studied them, and I've talked to them, and I've asked them. And I want to tell you that the, the, my, my final answer would have to be, that it, well, I I can't say in my own mind honestly that I think I was the best hitter, but I said if they'll put me in a group of Ruth and Gehrig and Simmons and Fox and DiMaggio and Greenberg and Heilman and Cobb, I said that'll be good enough for me, <laughs> and uh, I think that uh, that's the way I really feel. Uh, all those guys, you know, uh, were the best. That's all. <laughs> and you were probably the best of the best. Uh, well, I don't know about that at all, but I do know that I had a great, I had a great time uh, 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 writing this book with Jim Prime, the uh, Twenty Greatest Hitters. And I'll tell you, that's a tough assignment. I thought, hell, we'll name them off. You can name the first ten or twelve pretty good, but now you got a group of about twenty in there that's tough, mm -hmm. and you really got to separate them analytically as, as just with every aspect. And the big thing about it is they got a formula now that, that, that includes percentage of times on base, and that is a very, very, very big uh, factor. And, of course, the slugging percentage is a very, very, very big 
factor. One of the uh, one of the great pieces of sports journalism, I think, is uh, John Updike's story about. Oh, there's your no last, question about it. Last at bat about God don't answer curtain calls. I was just wondering, when you rounded the bases, your last at bat, you had hit that home run. You went back to the clubhouse. What did you do then? What was going through your mind then? Well, I I was uh, the the guys were all telling me to take a bow or do something, and I just couldn't do that. I pretty near thought about tipping my hat, but I didn't. I was emotionally, uh, you know, uplifted a little bit. And uh, but I never I would never come close to doing it, but I thought about it. And but when I went back to clubhouse, I mean I went out to go out the next inning, and then he sent somebody out behind me, and I came in. But um, um, you know I'm pretty lucky to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Memorial Day is Monday. You served in uh, both World War II and Korea. You lost a lot of your baseball career, by the way. But maybe even a shot at the then record 714 home runs. But uh, what what does Memorial Day mean to you about serving your country? Well, uh, I I'm patriotic and I but I'm not uh, uh, oh I'm not Mickey Mouse about it where I'm gushy, but um, uh, I'm I look back now and I say, well I'm glad I had a chance to do that. Uh, it's an experience that you'd never want to think that you could have it happen and then after it's all over and you didn't really appreciate until it was all over that you were a lucky guy to get through all the everything that happens to a young player, everything that happens to anybody going to the service, uh, anything that happens through life, uh, especially during a war too, I'll tell you, you got to be lucky. Mm -hmm. When you entered the Hall of Fame, uh, the things you said, uh, one of the things you said, uh, was it was time that some of the great players from the Negro League should yep. be yep. Yep. in Cooperstown that was, as well? That was ingrained in my mind uh, way back in 1930, 31, 32, uh, 34. I, I played in high school. His name was Leo Thompson. And he lived in the, oh, the, 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 the littlest and simplest of a little house that I ever saw in San Diego in that area that I lived at. And he was a tremendous little athlete. He wasn't a very big guy, but he was a good athlete. Hell of a little ball player, good little football player, good little boxer. And I, I always, I've asked a hundred times when I've been back to San Diego about, does anybody ever know what happened to Leo Thompson? And and I don't, I don't uh, know what ever happened to him, but I've asked. And... Uh, It'd be fun to kind of find out, but he must be an old guy now like I am. And so you never know. Maybe he was in a war. Maybe he had a problem or something. But um, so I've always felt in my heart uh, uh, maybe a little more thoughtfulness and regarding uh, uh, people that uh, didn't have quite the chance that other people had. Mm -hmm. And still, maybe that's one of the reasons I get even a little more bitter when I see riots right, and that type of thing. And I get mad to think that, uh, you know, uh, that things like that happen. But that was a thing that I had ingrained in me a long, long time. Ted, uh, you won a couple of triple crowns in 42-47, yet neither time uh, did you win the MVP award, last man to hit 400. Uh, uh, what happened? 
Well, you know, I, I don't know what happened. One time, uh, what was it, 40, 40, what, two? Yeah. Well, Gordon had the best year he ever had in his life. Yankees won the pennant, and they used to put even more more uh, strength on that when they voted for the most valuable player. And uh, and that's possible, certainly, to win the most valuable player without, win the tr- without winning uh, uh, the pennant. I mean, it's possible to be most valuable player without winning the pennant. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, uh, I felt that Gordon. I thought that Gordon, being the uh, the he was a hell of a player, should be in the Hall of Fame. Jeez. Right. And uh, and of course, when I didn't get it, uh, when I hit 400, the Maggio had one of the super great years in the history of the game, and he was truly a great, great, great ball player. Yeah. And uh, and then the other time, I don't know the other time. Which one's the other time you're talking about? 42 and 47. Huh? 1947. 47. Yeah. Did you win the Triple Crown in 47? Uh, 42 and 47? Yeah. 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 Okay. But I, I don't even know who got it in 47. Who got it? Did Joe DiMaggio. DiMaggio. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I never felt <laughs> badly about his the, the, the year he won the a streak in the year that he won the most valuable player. I wouldn't argue against either one of those. Okay. I want to get you, I want to get your comments and you read the papers every day. You know what has happened to this game. You know what happened August the 12th last year. You know the resentment that the fans have had. You know that uh, attendance is down 25%, TV ratings are down and they say it's a dying sport. Uh, uh, how about your perspective on the game today and what can be done to rejuvenate it? Well, I I don't think it's a dying sport at all and I tell you um, I can, I can, I can feel I, because I had the same feeling. I said, "What the hell is going on? What do they want? What does management want? What do the players want?" They have representation, and I still feel badly they couldn't get together on it a little better because they, they, the end result was that a lot of fans got turned off a little bit. But this game is so great. This game is so great that. Um, uh, it'll get it'll get going just the way it was. I'll bet you, and it, and it'll take a little bit of time because uh, the 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 present player uh, excites the fan to the point where he wants to go to the game. The name that's being created that's a great player or an outstanding player or or uh, a stimulation to a city and a and a and a uh, locality starts getting the fans worked up and i think that guys like bonds and guys like griffey and guys like that big i think that big hitting third baseman out there matt williams huh matt williams with the Giants. oh yes sir boy does he rack them and uh then you got other guys gee there's a lot of i see more talent honestly honestly i see more talent i think than i've ever seen in this game before I mean, I see catches at Cripe. I never saw catches like that. Even, you know, they go straight out and 10, 12 feet and catch one right off the grass. Yeah, that's I true. see things like, I see speed. I see uh, bodies that uh, are super and talent that's super. And uh, it just shows you that this is a pretty t- pretty hard game to play the way you'd really like to play it. Who was the uh, who was the first manager that uh, used the uh, William shift on you, and uh, how did you react to it? How did you attack it? Well, I was hitting just like gangbusters. Boy, I was hitting the ball all over the place, and it was against Cleveland, and I had just won the first game in the eleventh inning with a home run, 
and I was hitting like gangbusters all year, and then when I came out in the second game, they had all kinds of graphs and all kinds of charts to where I hit the ball <laughs> and where I didn't hit the ball and who I hit it against. And, and um, uh, he came out that second game with Boudreaux, a great player and a great manager in my book because uh, he handled the staff all year, and, and he won the most valuable player award. I think that's probably one of the most uh, complete years anybody in baseball ever had because he not only managed, he hit great and he fielded great and he just carried the whole thing and I don't think there's ever a player that had a more complete year than he did. How many times in your career were you asked to bunt or did you ever? Oh, I never got the bunt sign. Never. Never. <laughs> you never sacrificed? No, I never got no bunt signs. No, I never got a bunt sign. Never did. Oh, mercy. I never got a steal sign. The only time I ever tried <laughs> to steal, and surprisingly, I think I stole about 35 bases. And and, and um, I I never stole. I never got a steal sign. But I, if I got hit with a ball or something, I'd be mad, you know. Then I'd try to do it. And uh, that's what I must have done, most of them, because I never stole any other time. Would you have done anything differently? I don't know what I could have done differently. I, they asked me. They asked me that the last day I played, and the only thing I said, and I know I was right when I said it, I'd have tried to get stronger. Now I'm taking. I've you know I broke my shoulder, and I'm taking a lot of rehabilitation to try to get it going again. And I know that um, that exercise is all important, and you can develop stronger shoulders and develop stronger arms, and you can. Even help your speed with the right kind of training, and I, uh, I never realized that so much because uh, until I've had to go through things, and I did say the last day, I said if, if I did anything different, I'd try to get stronger, and I know that's right. Uh, finally, uh, would say now I would add one other thing. I'd say quickness uh -huh. stronger because uh -huh. you're till, till the last time you go to bat, you say, I gotta be quick. I gotta, and I gotta hang in here, you know? Uh, which is, uh... Is it true that your eyesight was so good you could literally see the seams on the baseball? Oh, geez, I wanna <laughs> vomit when I hear that. Is that right? Probably some sports writer thought that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, mercy. I, oh, Jesus, uh, <clears throat> you can't see no seams on the ball. It looks a little reddish and but it's spinning and it's coming in there fast. Hell no. I <laughs> must have been a frustrated sports writer that couldn't hit. <laughs> and, and also, you know, you've heard this story, too. I, and huh? I, 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 you've heard this comment, too, and I've even used it on the air in talking about you, uh, about when you were managing both Washington and Texas, that uh, you hated your own pitchers as much as any other pitcher. Is that true? <laughs> no. <laughs> in fact, some of the best friends I've ever had uh, have... Uh, we're, we're pitching on that team. Boy, we, I'd like to see how good we could do today with that team we had because it was a lot better team than anybody thought it was. Uh -huh. And we started to roll a little bit, and, hell, we were playing the last week of the season trying to beat the Red Sox out of position in the pennant race. Yeah. Not for first place, but for one, two, three, uh, three, four, five. My, finally, my partner on television is, uh, is, Red, is Ron Fairley. Uh, what kind of a hitter was Ron? Ron was a... A great-looking hitter. He uh, he reminded me he wasn't that big. I didn't think. What is he? Five ten and one hundred seventy-five. Yeah. yeah. Not now, right. but he used to be one hundred seventy-five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
but he was a good-looking hitter. And I used to, I used to look at him, and even though I didn't play very much against him, I looked at him, and all I could think about was O'Doul, Lefty O'Doul. He was a stylish-looking hitter and a damn good one. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you, and, and finally this, just for my own personal edification, I've got a lot of your memorabilia because you, my, my, if my daughter had been a son, she would have been a Ted Williams Kneehouse, by the way. <laughs> uh, but, but I have in my uh, game room in my den, and I'm sure there are thousands of them across America, that picture of you wrapped in the towel at Fenway Park with, your, with, with a bat in your hand. What year was that? Oh, it was, uh, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say, uh, oh, I, I, I would think that it would be in, in uh, 39 or 40, uh-huh. maybe. Yeah, I'm wrapping the towel, and Christ, I got a bat holding in the locker room. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and then they got another one of me holding a bat and the, uh, f- at the foot of a bed, and now I'm going to hit the, the leg on the bed, you know. <laughs> Christ. Well, I didn't t- have a bat in my hand an awful lot. One of these days, I'm going to get that to you and have you. But I'll, I'll, I'll have a chance to sit down with you. Hey, Ted, you don't know what a thrill this is, my oh, friend. Oh, thank you and- very much. You're a good guy.